0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It is a blessing to be together in this place to worship God on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is my favorite day of the week because I get to worship God with the best people on the planet, which is the people of God right here in this place. I'm so happy to see all of you this morning. Please go ahead and get your Bible out. Let's jump into the word and we're going to go in our Bibles to the New Testament We're going to go to the book of 1st Corinthians this morning. I want to invite you to 1st Corinthians chapter 6 as we set up our study this morning from God's word. The Bible says in 1st Corinthians the 6th chapter and in verse number 9, verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. You know I have to, you know I got to ask you, You know, I got to ask you at least three or four times a year from the pulpit. I got to ask you, have you been doing it? I got to ask if you've been keeping up with it. I got to ask if you've been keeping up with your daily Bible reading. Don't worry. You don't have to answer that question by raising your hand. But I do want you to think about that. I do want you to remember the purpose of this Bible reading? I want you to remember that our growing with the Apostle Paul Bible reading doesn't just involve reading one chapter a week, but it also involves reading that assigned chapter at least five times a week. It involves immersing ourselves in the reading reading that one chapter over and over and over again so that we can really understand some things about the Apostle Paul and so that we can really understand some things about the church that he's writing to at that time and so that we can really understand the text and maybe even see some things that we've never seen before. That's the goal of an immersion Bible reading. And so far this year, we've immersed ourselves in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And at the conclusion of this week, we will have immersed ourselves in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And beginning a week from tomorrow, we're going to begin immersing ourselves in the book of 1 Corinthians. You know, if there is a book, if there is a book in the New Testament and a church in the New Testament that has a bad reputation, then it's got to be this church right here, right? It's, it's got to be the church in Corinth. It's got to be this church that Paul was writing to when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. You and I both know that the church in Corinth is well known today as being a church that, that had problems. It was a church that had a lot of problems. In fact, nearly every chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians addresses their problems in in one way or another. And while we could, if we wanted to, spend all of our time talking about their problems and and, and rehearsing their problems and, and really feeling good about ourselves in the process, maybe the question we need to ask this morning is this. What was at the core? What was at the core? What was at the foundation of all the problems going on in Corinth? Well, since I will be out of town next Sunday, if you don't mind, I want to get jump-started on this book just a little bit since I won't be here. If you don't mind, this morning I want to give you a few things, a few things to think about, a little bit of information that I think will help us all as we get ready to read this very important letter In the New Testament. And how about we begin by just doing this this morning as we get ready to start reading First Corinthians in about a week. Let's begin by considering some background. Let's consider some background. Let's consider some background information about this particular church. If you remember from our Bible reading last year in the book of Acts, and this is where reading Acts last year helps us now. If you remember when we read Acts 18 last year, there Luke tells us exactly when the apostle Paul planted the church in Corinth. If you remember, Luke tells us that the church in Corinth was planted by Paul when he visited the city of Corinth on his second missionary or preaching journey. Remember, after the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in prominent Macedonian cities like Philippi and Thessalonica, eventually he he made his his way to Corinth. Eventually, he, he visited a very prominent city in the region of Achaia. And the scripture tells us that he stayed there laboring in the gospel for about 18 months. That means Paul was there in Corinth for about a year and a half. And I can only imagine how he must have felt when he first entered that city. I I can only imagine how he must have felt when he entered one of the bigger cities in ancient Greece a city that was bigger than even Philippi or Thessalonica, a city that had over one million people living in it. And it was immersed in Greek culture and the Greek way of thinking and living. And it was full of all kinds of wickedness. You see, we got to understand that in the ancient world, in the time of the Apostle Paul, the city of Corinth was a big city. It was a big city, just like Phoenix is a big city, and it was also a major city. It was a major commercial and port city. By that, we mean that this city had a lot of money, and it had a lot of trade and a lot of entertainment. It had huge courthouses where cases were tried and it had a lot of banks where, where people from throughout Akea would come to those banks and they would take out loans to get money for their businesses. And it was well known for its pottery and its two massive theaters, one of which could hold about 18,000 people. This was a big city. It was a major commercial import city and it also hosted the famous Isminian Games. The Asminian Games. Now, the Asminian Games are very similar to what we know as the Olympics. Only these games were held every two years, not every four years, in the city of Corinth. And that will help us understand why Paul uses so many sports illustrations in the book of 1 Corinthians. Corinth hosted the Asminian Games, but probably the main attraction in Corinth were its temples. Were it's pagan temples, particularly the temple of Epaphrodite that housed 1,000 temple prostitutes. There were 1,000 prostitutes that worked in the temple of Epaphrodite, and these prostitutes attracted worshipers of pagan gods from all over Greece. This temple represented just how wicked the city of Corinth was it represented just how evil and sinful and just degrading this place was in the ancient world in fact in this time to even be called a corinthian was a degrading was a degrading term it was a demeaning term it was very insulting for someone to call you a corinthian because the corinthians were known for living in a city that had a bad reputation. I mean, if we believe that places like Las Vegas and San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York are sinful places today, if we believe those are bad places, if the Apostle Paul was with us this morning and if he could talk to us, you know what he would say? He would say, y'all should have been with me in Corinth 2,000 years ago. Y'all should have been with me when I visited the city of Corinth. San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Las Vegas, those cities combined are not as bad as Corinth was. Corinth was an evil city. It was a wicked place, a place where all kind of sin and wickedness was taking place. But the scripture tells us that when the apostle Paul visited that city, he actually found a synagogue there. He didn't find a synagogue in Philippi, but he found a synagogue in Corinth. He found people who were worshiping the one true God in Corinth, and he went in among those people, and he taught them about Jesus. He preached to them the gospel for several Sabbaths, and after a period of time, you know what happened? Some people were converted. Some people actually became Christians. Some people actually obeyed the gospel and they were brought into the church of our Lord. That brings us to the second thing I want us to understand about this book as we get ready to read it together, and that is secondly, we need to understand some things about the makeup of this church. We need to know some things about the makeup of the church in Corinth. What kind of people were found in this church? Well, going back to what we read from the book of Acts, remember how as Luke tells us about Paul's First missionary journey not his second but as Luke tells us about Paul's first missionary journey Luke tells us that in the churches that Paul planted on his first missionary journey in the churches of Lystra and Iconium and Derby and and Antioch the vast majority of people who made up those churches were made up of two different kinds of people they were either Jews or God fearing Gentiles They were either Jews or Gentiles who had been proselytized into the Jewish religion or they at least believed in the one true God and they believed in the Bible. Now, understanding that, understanding the makeup of those churches planted by Paul on his first journey will help us see why he was able to appoint elders in those churches so quickly, according to Acts 14, 23. It will help us be able to see how elders were, were in those churches so fast. You see, because many of the men in those churches already believed in God and they kept the law and they had been living righteous lives for many decades because men like that were among the initial converts in that church, in those churches. Well, those churches in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and and Antioch, they could get elders pretty quick. They were actually able to get elders in less than two years, after Paul had planted those churches, those churches were made up of men who were coming out of Judaism and they had already been serving God for a long period of time and raising their families to serve God, but that's not the kind of people who were who were part of the church in Corinth. That is not the kind of people who made up the vast majority of converts in the church in Corinth. You see, while Acts 18 does tell us that there were some Jews in Corinth who obeyed the gospel and they became Christians. That chapter in the New Testament also tells us that most of the Jews in Corinth rejected the gospel. Most of them rejected Jesus. Most of them were very hostile and violent towards messengers of Jesus. This means that the vast majority of converts in the church in Corinth were not Jews or God-fearing Gentiles, or men who were ready to be elders in less than two years. No, the vast majority of converts in Corinth were people who were coming right out of the world. They were people who were just giving up a very wicked and sinful lifestyle. They were people who were just coming out of paganism and idolatry. They were people who had just given up the sins they were just read about in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Those were the vast majority of converts in the church in Corinth. And the reason I'm bringing this up to you is because understanding the makeup of this church will also help us be able to understand why this church has so many problems. It will help us be able to understand why Paul never mentions that this church had elders. This church wasn't ready for elders initially, like the other churches were. This church had problems. Because it was made up of different kind of people. You see, we got to understand that like many of the Apostle Paul's letters, the 1 Corinthians letter is commonly called an occasional letter. You ever heard that terminology before? An occasional letter. 1 Corinthians is what you call an occasional letter. I think this is important for us to talk about because sometimes we get the wrong idea about Paul's letters. Sometimes we think that the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, was just sitting down at a table somewhere, and he was kind of bored, and he picked up a pen and got out some expensive paper and said, well, you know what? I got nothing else to do. I think I'll just write my buddies in Corinth a letter. I got nothing else to do. They hadn't invented cell phones yet, so I can't play Angry Birds, and so I'll just get out a piece of paper, and I'll write a big letter to the Thessalonians talking about all kinds of theology and all kinds of hard stuff for them to understand. That is not what was going on. That is not why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. That is not the initial reason why he wrote this book. The initial reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians is because of an occasion. It was because of an occasion. It was because there was something going on in this church that he had heard about, and he wanted to help them with their problem. And we see that in a couple of different places in the book. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul says in verse 11, for I have been informed. I highlight the word informed there in my Bible. Paul says, look, he's talking to the Corinthians. I've heard something. I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, mean this that each one of you is saying, I have a Paul and I have Apollos and I have Cephas and I have Christ. Paul says, hey, I've heard something. I've heard some I heard some information. I heard some things from Chloe's, from Chloe's household. I've heard some things about you that are not good. That was the occasion for the letter. Now look at chapter 7 and verse 1. Chapter 7, you find a a transition in the book where Paul starts doing this. In chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul says, now concerning. So here's something else. Here's another occasion. Now concerning the things. About what you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each one, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And then he goes on to talk about a present distress going on at that time. So notice the occasions. Notice why Paul wrote these letters. He didn't write this letter just because he was bored and had nothing else to do. No, Paul wrote this letter because of two things: because he heard they were having problems. And he heard they had they had some questions. They had some questions that they must have previously asked him through a letter. Those were the occasions for the letter, problems and questions. In fact, let's talk a little bit more about these problems. How about we do that? Let's talk about some of the problems that were going on in this congregation. Go back to chapter one, please. And I, and I want to get the, the, that whole section there, if you don't mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10, after spending the, nine verse, the first nine verses saying some nice things to them, commending them, letting them know that they were the people of God and they were saints, and they had been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul makes them feel real good in the beginning, but now he's about to blast them, and that starts in verse 10. When he says in verse 10, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are, here's another key word, key word, quarrels. There are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am a Paul, and I am Apollos, and I am Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius, so that none of you would say that you were baptized in my name. Do you hear the frustration in Paul's voice there? Can you hear it? I mean, 2,000 years later, we should be able to still hear it. Paul is clearly frustrated. He's clearly angry. As he writes those words, notice how one of the problems, one of the problems going on in this church was division. Division. This was a divided church. This was a church that had factions. It was a church that had quarrels. It was a church that had fusses and fights. It was a church that was more focused on exalting their favorite preacher than they were in exalting Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This was a divided church, and I want you to understand that this idea of division dominates the first four chapters of this book. Don't miss that. The theme of division dominates 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. Paul blasts them. He rebukes these brethren in this letter for being divided, but he doesn't just rebu- rebuke them for being divided. He also rebukes them for tolerating sin. They tolerated sin. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that I know something else about you guys. I know that in addition to being divided, you're also in fellowship with a brother who's involved in incest. You're in fellowship with a brother who's, in, who's involved in sexual immorality with his father's wife. Paul says he knew that they were in fellowship with a brother in sin and they were doing nothing about it. They were turning a blind eye to that. They were ignoring that. They were even show, showing approval for that and celebrating that. Paul knew about their division. He knew they were tolerating sin and he also knew that they were suing each other and dragging one another before the public courts, and he also knew that some of the stronger spiritually people among them were being arrogant towards those who had weaker consciences, particularly when it came to eating meats that had been sacrificed to idols. He knew that they were not considering each other when it came to that, and he also knew that they were perverting the Lord's Supper. He also knew that they had turned the Lord's Supper The Lord's Supper that we're going to eat later, he knew that they had turned it into a feast. They had turned it into a social feast, and they didn't even invite all the brethren to the party. They had abused and and totally missed the point of this sacred act of worship. Paul says, I know you've been perverting the Lord's Supper, and he also says, I know you've been competing over miraculous spiritual gifts. You see, unlike what we can do today in local congregations at this time in the first century, Christians had the ability to perform miracles. Through the laying on of the apostles' hands, Christians could perform miracles. They could do things. Like speaking tongues, that is, start miraculously speaking in a foreign language that they had never been taught. They could speak in tongues, they could interpret the tongues, they could prophesy, heal, they could do all kinds of things that superseded natural law. And Paul says, I know you guys are in competition over that. They were in competition over spiritual gifts. It seemed like everybody in Corinth wanted to be a tongue speaker. Competition over spiritual gifts from God. But what I believe is at the foundation of all their problems, is found in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 with me in verse 1. In chapter 3 in verse number 1, Paul says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as to infants, or babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one of you says, I am a Paul, and of another, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? Well, then it's Apollos. And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Do you see what's at the foundation? Of their problems, do you see it? Notice how at the foundation of all these issues, of all these issues going on in Corinth, seems to be immaturity. It seems to be spiritual immaturity. It seems to be the fact that they were not growing up. They were not growing up properly in the Lord. This church was a spiritually immature church, and I submit that that right there should hit us right between the eyes. That should hit us right in our hearts. That should really want to make us immerse ourselves in this reading because that goes exactly what our theme this year as a church, does it not? Notice our theme. Notice the theme our shepherds have given us this year. Our theme this year, it's about growth. It's about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. And Paul talks about spiritual growth in those verses. Paul talks about spiritual maturity all throughout this book. And you know what that means? That means that out of all the letters of Paul that we are going to read this year, none may help us more accomplish our goal than this book right here. None may help us grow to maturity more than the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians is going to help us tremendously because it's going to show us that while this church had a ton of problems and a ton of issues and a ton of division, the solution to their problems was growth. It was spiritual growth. It was growing up, growing up in their thinking, growing up in their discernment, growing up in their behavior and in their love and in their imitation of Jesus Christ. This book is going to help us spiritually mature properly in the Lord. In fact, as you begin reading it in about a week, I want to ask you to do this. Will you please do this? I want to ask you to watch for some key lessons. I want to ask you to watch for some key lessons. That are found in this book, okay? One lesson I want you to watch for as you read this book is I want you to appreciate how according to what we're going to read, the Holy Spirit tells us that churches have problems. Churches have problems. Every church has problems. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it. Because people are not perfect. All churches have problems. Churches in the first century had problems and churches today also have problems. Now, the problems we have today may be a little bit different. For example, we may not have to worry about living in a city where you can go outside and look on the hill and there is a big temple where a thousand prostitutes are working. We may not have that problem here in Phoenix. And, and, and we may not have to worry about competing over miraculous spiritual gifts because guess what? We don't have miraculous spiritual gifts, and we may not be debating over whether or not we should eat some meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, or whether or not a Christian should marry right now because of a present distress. We may not have to deal with that kind of stuff today, but you know, what we still can deal with. We still can deal with division. We still can deal with division. We still can deal with people getting mad and upset about something because they're not getting their way over a matter of judgment. We still can start competing with each other over the non-miraculous gifts that God has given us in the church. And we still can fall into the trap of tolerating sin. And turn a blind eye to sin and minimizing the seriousness of sins committed by brothers and sisters in the church because we don't want to make them mad. We don't want to run them off. We can still deal with that stuff today. And we can also still fail to consider each other. And be humble towards each other. And we can also form factions in the church. And we can also be arrogant towards each other. And we can also stop growing spiritually. Like the Corinthians stopped growing spiritually you see, today we can have problems. We can have many of the same problems that are going on in Corinth. And we're going to see that when we read this book. But not only will we learn that churches have problems from this book. We're also going to see that God has solutions. God has solutions. The Apostle Paul offers solutions to the problems going on in Corinth. And let me just say that the solutions that Paul offers are very different than the solutions we, we offer today. I want you to notice how, as we read this book, and the Apostle Paul is trying to help these brethren, I want you to notice what he doesn't say. I want you to notice how Paul doesn't tell these brethren to break up. He doesn't tell them to split up. He doesn't tell them to divide up their talent pool and their resources and start a bunch of other little small congregations all throughout the city of Corinth. Paul doesn't tell the brethren to do that kind of stuff you find going on in 21st century America in the churches of Christ. Instead, look at what Paul says. Look at what Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 10. In chapter 1 and verse 10, again, Paul says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you split up and start another little small church across town. That's what you do. Remember, this is a big city, right? Why not just do that? Paul didn't say that. Paul says that you all agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. That's what Paul says. Look at chapter 4 and verse 6. And chapter 4 and verse 6, still dealing with this issue of division of the church. And Paul says, Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that none of you will become arrogant and behalf of one against the other. What about this problem with sin in the church, with this brother who's involved in incest? Look at chapter 5 and verse 2. Chapter 5 and verse 2 says, You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so the brother who has done this deed will be removed from your midst. Go to chapter 11. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Chapter 11 and verse 1. Paul says, Be imitators of me. Just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me and everything and hold firmly to the traditions, to the traditions of the apostles. Just as I delivered them to you. And you know the famous section found in 1 Corinthians about love, don't you? You know that section. Look at chapter 13. When it comes to helping them with their, in their, with their competition over miraculous gifts, you know this section. Chapter 13 and verse 4, Paul says, here's something better than miraculous gifts it's love. And Paul says love is patient, love is kind, and it's not jealous. Love does not brag and it's not arrogant. Love, love does not act unbecomingly, It does not seek its own, It's not provoke, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Notice the solutions. Do you see the solutions? You see the Holy Spirit solutions? Do you see how whenever we have problems, Whenever we have disagreements, whenever we are upset with each other and, and we're even facing challenges with sin in the church, Paul says that the solution to our challenges and our problems is to follow the gospel. It's to follow the gospel. It's to follow what the gospel says about unity. It's to follow what the gospel says about humility. It's to follow what the gospel says about how to worship God and how to deal with sin how to love each other and consider each other and walk in the footsteps of the apostles who also walked in the footsteps of Jesus. This book tells us that churches have problems. But God has solutions. God has solutions to the problems we have. But let me put on the list also. This letter may also expose why so many Christians struggle with evangelism. It may expose why some Christians struggle with evangelism. Look at chapter 12 and verse number one. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse one, Paul transitions and starts talking about these spiritual gifts. And he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now watch verse two. You know that when you were pagans. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. This verse right here backs up something I said earlier to you in the lesson. It backs up the fact that the vast majority of people in this church were not Jews or God-fearing Gentiles. They were not Jews or men who were ready to be elders in just a couple of years. Instead, the people who were in this church were people who had just left the world. They were people who had just given up paganism. And idolatry. They were people who had a whole lot of baggage with them when they came to the Lord. And let's just be honest about it this morning. We don't like that very much. We we don't we don't like that very much. We we kind of struggle with people like that today. We're often impatient with, with people like that. We're often uncomfortable with people like that. We're often uncomfortable when when people join a church and they got baggage. They're not like us. They don't look like us. They don't dress like us. They haven't grown up in in the church like us. They can't quote a bunch of scripture. They don't know all the proper scriptural terminology right away. We kind of struggle with people like that. We struggle with folks like that. but When we read First Corinthians, you know, what we're going to see we're going to see that having a church full of people just like that. That's what real church growth looks like. That's what an evangelistic church looks like. An evangelistic church looks like the church in Corinth. It has a bunch of Corinthians in it. It has people who have been converted out of the world and they got some baggage and they need to grow and they need us to be patient with them and teach them and help them grow. The book of 1 Corinthians is going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to show us that if we want to be a church that's growing properly, then we better get some Corinthians in here. We better get some people who are been converted out of the world and they need, to, need us to help them grow in Christ. In fact, this brings us to the last thing I want to say very quickly in this letter also. It's going to show us some things about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1 and verse 16? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Bible says the gospel is so powerful that it has the power to convert everybody. It has the power to convert Jews and convert Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that Paul was right about that. Paul was right about what he said in that verse. Again, right back where we started. Remember where we started in chapter 6. One more time, verse 9. Chapter 6 and verse 9. Now, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed, washed by the blood of Jesus. You were sanctified, set apart for holy purposes unto God. You were justified, declared not guilty in the eyes of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Notice how even though these people had done a lot of bad things, they had done a lot of bad things. Paul says the gospel had changed them. They were still the people of God. They had been transformed and changed by the gospel. And just like the gospel changed and transformed them, guess who else had also changed and transformed? Me. And you. All of us have been changed and transformed by the gospel. And one of the things we're going to see in the book of 1 Corinthians is that the gospel can change the Corinthians. Corinthians. It can change anybody in our, in our world today. We just got to teach it. And so I hope you'll remember these things. I hope you'll remember these things as we get ready to start this book in a few days. As we wrap up our readings from First and 2 Thessalonians, I hope you'll try to challenge yourself in a few days to read 1 Corinthians with some fresh eyes. Try to read it with fresh eyes. Try to immerse yourself in the reading. Understand Paul. Try to understand the church. Try to understand the makeup of the church. Try to understand the problems that they were dealing with. I think they'll help us all in our service to the Lord. In fact, maybe there's someone here this morning and you say, well, I want to be part of the same church that the Corinthians are part of. I want to be part of the Lord's church. I want to be part of the kingdom of God that we've been talking about today. Well, you can do that. You can be transformed by the gospel in just a couple of minutes. If you're willing to believe in the Lord Jesus and repent of your sins... And obey His commandment to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We will immerse you in the waters of baptism, or if you're a Christian here and you know you haven't been living that faithful Christian life, maybe you've been living like the Corinthians were living before they came to the Lord. Whatever spiritual need we you may have this morning, let us help you with that as we stand and we sing together. Take my life. And-